because of the killing that I had done in the Vietnam War, I thought that I could never be forgiven for that. And for many years after the war, I wished that I had died with others on a jungle hilltop in Vietnam. I woke up on that hilltop every morning for the next 17 years until I received Jesus Christ. At the moment that I trusted in Jesus as the one and only true God, He forgave my sin. The guilt of killing that I had carried for 17 years was gone. Then Jesus changed my life as I learned how to rely and depend on Him each day. Amen. Isn't that a, a great and powerful story? As a matter of fact, it's probably the greatest, most powerful story I've ever heard in 30 seconds. Bill was uh, involved with something where they, they had to be able to kind of tell their story in, in 30 seconds, but it really is very meaningful and powerful. Uh, you know, as I, I said earlier, folks, we're, we've been wanting uh, to do more, not just with Veterans Day, but, but really do more with our, our ministry to veterans, to soldiers, to, to Fort Lee. And so we thought we would use today, Veterans Day, as kind of a way of launching that, beginning that. And uh, there's nothing like starting with the story of, of a veteran. And of course, off the screen, live standing here with me is... Uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Bill Deadweiler. And, and Bill, I'm going to give you a, a few more seconds past the 30 uh, to tell us a little bit about, about your story with the Army and, uh, and how that led to you becoming a Christian. Well, I uh, first went to Vietnam as a young second lieutenant, uh, artillery lieutenant as a forward observer with the 25th Infantry Division. And uh, I'm not sure blank. And I went. I came back after one year, yeah. and I went to uh, went to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I met my wife there two months later. And uh, her stepfather was my boss. And she came, she came home from uh, college in Texas to spend the summer with her family at Fort Bragg. Well, we were married uh, five months later. And with 18 months after that, I got orders to go back uh, to Vietnam. On my second tour to Vietnam, I was assigned as an advisor to a South Vietnamese Army Infantry Battalion. And this was towards the end of the war. And we, uh, we fought in the uh, uh, jungle-covered mountains of the Ashal Valley in Vietnam. And my wife uh, did not, uh, my wife, when I came back, my wife did not know that uh, what was, who was coming back was a different man than who she had married. And uh, she did not know that, and... I did not tell her that because I could not talk about the war for 17 years. And after that, about 12 years later after that, we went to Keflavik, Iceland. Our family went there for about a two-year tour. And at Keflavik, uh, I was uh, the only Army officer on a NATO staff, and my boss was a uh, Air Force colonel, and uh, my uh, co-partner was a Navy officer, and both of them happened to be born-again Christians. 
And so we became part of a very uh, close-knit military life group. And because of that, uh, we started going to the chapel. And and Iris also wanted to be a member of the choir, which which she was. And uh, they would ask us during those two years on different occasions to come to their family, to their homes for uh, a Bible study, but we never went. Uh, we left Iceland. We went to South Korea, and as uh, soon as we got there, Iris found uh, a person that told her about this super uh, military chapel that had, had a super uh, choir and so because of that, we went to that chapel, and, and we attended there. And uh, what happened there is we didn't really know that uh, most of all the born-again Christians uh, on that area went to that chapel. And so uh, Iris was taken under uh, the, the women in the choir, took her, uh, and took her into their care, and by... Christmas Eve, she accepted Christ on our first Christmas Eve in South Korea. And right after that, our kids uh, followed. And then I, then I thought they were all crazy. <laughs> so two and a half years later, three weeks before uh, we were to leave South Korea, I finally agreed to attend a men's retreat by the families uh, of the chapel, they put that on. And at the retreat uh, for the two nights, uh, they had, what they had, they had the testimony of two Vietnam combat veterans, one on one night and one on the second night. And on the last night of it after that, I asked this guy that was at the table with me, I said, can you show me in the Bible how the, what the Bible says about how Jesus can be God. And so he opened up the Bible to the Gospel of John, and then I looked down, and then all the verses that I wanted to look at were already underlined in red, so I had a very uh, easy time reading what the Bible said about that. And then after that, I went back to my room, and all this was going through my head, And I went to the shower, went to take a shower, and in the shower at about midnight on on that night, I trusted in Jesus Christ as the one and only true God. And the Vietnam War finally came uh, to an end for me after 17 years, and I received Jesus Christ. Three weeks after that, we went to uh, Germany, and we went to a uh, Baptist church that was owned by military families uh, that were there in, in Germany. And uh, what happened there is that uh, right after we got there, they had this new pastor come in that was actually, he was a Southern Baptist pastor, and uh, probably an easy way to describe him, that was a very young uh, Randy Hahn. <laughs> You keep making me the old version of Randy Hahn in this story. <laughs> it makes me feel better. <laughs> so in, in that chapel, his number one priority when he came in was to 
was for evangelism. So on Wednesday night, he, we got into a very concentrated uh, effort to train us on how to take the gospel out beyond the church as quick as we could. And so about the first uh, Bible verses I ever learned were part of that gospel presentation. And really, I, for a while there, as a new Christian, the only thing I could do was to go out and present the gospel. And what we did by the time we left there, uh, what happened with the church because of that, it doubled, went up from about 100 to 200 uh, the first year, and then was pushing close to 300 by the time we left. And over that three years, we got about as solid a biblical foundation as I think we could have gotten anywhere by the time we left there. And all of our teachers and all of our leadership inside that chapel uh, outside of the pastor were all active duty military, and about half of them were Navy, I mean not Navy, but Air Force, and half, and half were Army. So after that, we came here to Fort Lee, and uh, we visited uh, Colonial Heights Baptist Church, and our kids wouldn't let us go anywhere else, so we, ch- we, ch- we joined. Yeah, and, and you know what? When he joined the church, he was young back then. <laughs> that was, what would you say, 1990? 19, yeah, 1990, 1990 that yeah. they became part of the church here. So you're, you're a longtime member here at the Heights. You're a, a veteran. And so you've actually said it, but I want to draw it out for this question. What, in your opinion, is, a, is what a church should be doing to honor their soldiers, to honor their veterans? I mean, e- even beyond just, you know, applauding for them on the appropriate days. Well, uh, last summer, uh, uh, West Rose sent us a Fort Lee life group to help us in our AO4 project. And as I worked with them uh, that day, it reminded me really of how the Lord had used other type of military life groups all over the world in our lives to bring uh, our family, all of our family, to a saving uh, knowledge of Jesus Christ. And uh, when Randy asked me that, he asked me, you know, what did I think uh, uh, we could do as a church to honor our veterans more I told him that I thought that our church honored our veterans, especially uh, Randy, because he acknowledged us at other times uh, throughout the year. And, you know, not just, not just on, on Veterans Day. So uh, what I told him is that I, um, for me personally, uh, for me personally as, uh, as a veteran, what I would like to see is, uh, our church to be uh, intentional about trying to find a way to develop some type of partnership with our Fort Lee uh, members in such a way that when they deploy either to uh, other places in our country or deploy overseas that they could do for uh, other families military families, what uh, had been done for me and my family uh, when they ministered to us. And, of course, that was to receive the greatest gift that anybody can receive, and that's Jesus Christ. And, yeah, uh, when I looking at uh, uh, Randy's question, to go beyond just saying words, uh, 
I thought that was what he, that's what our church could do more than anything else that we could say. Yeah, so, so be that church for soldiers that a, a number of chapels and churches for you were for you along in your journey that, that uh, helped you, as you said a moment ago, finally in that war. So y'all, y'all thank Bill for being with us today and, and sharing. Appreciate it, Bill. So my, my message today, that the, the title of it is that, that God honors the soldier. You know, it's a kind of an interesting title. The moment I say it, uh, I almost feel like I need to qualify it. Uh, you know, when I say God honors the soldier, I'm not saying that God honors every war that, that's ever been. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that God honors every nation that assembles a military. I'm, I'm not saying that God honors every action of an individual soldier. So, you know, I say, well, well what is left? What, what is it that, that God honors? Well, I want to try to build a, start with kind of a scriptural basis for what I believe the scripture is saying and, and that why God honors the soldier. I want to start with Romans 13, verse 4. I'm going to read two passages. Uh, this first one, just one verse, Romans chapter 13, uh, verse 4, and it says this. It says, for he, now the he here is governing authorities, uh, you know, that, that run a nation, that run a community. For the governing authorities are God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword. Now that's the operative phrase. God has given the government the sword. He's, he's given the authority and, and power to take life. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now this passage would most directly be applying not not to nation against nation, uh, military against military. It would most directly be applying domestically, civilly. This this is about police and and, uh, judges and, and the governing authorities in a community. That's what this is most specifically talking about. But I don't think it's wrong or contrary to extrapolate it out. Wrong is not just done by individuals. Wrong wrong is done by nations, right? And sometimes other nations have to begin to respond to that wrong that is done, and that would be with the power of the sword. And so this can extrapolate out to just a person against a person and, and police and judges to a military against a military, a nation against a nation. Now that's, that's tricky when we start talking about this. It raises difficult questions, like questions of what a just war is, or who decides what is right and what is wrong, or who gives that nation the right to decide what is right and what is wrong, or I don't know if I agree with my nation on what is right and what is wrong, but do you see where I'm kind of already going with this? The soldier's kind of stuck. They, they don't get to decide what is right and wrong about what their nation has done. They're, they're kind of stuck having to act that out and to live on that authority ab- above them. And so I believe that is what God honors and respects is that they have to, they have to stand in there and, and live out that decision that others have decided. Now, I want to look at a passage that kind of shows you God talking about the soldier. 
if you will. This is coming from 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's in your Old Testament first Oh, probably 15%, 20% of the the Bible there. And there's a long chapter. As a matter of fact, it's chapters 8 through, or verses 8 through 39. It's a long chapter. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read a few snippets. But as I hit 8, 9, 10 verses, realize there's another 20, 25 verses right along in line with what you are going to hear. So I'm beginning in verse 8. And you're going to hear, I don't know if I would say the first uh, gathering of special forces, but but what you're going to hear is the scripture talking about David's special forces, David's green berets, if you will. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Jehobasheth, a Tachmanite, he was the chief of the three. So there was this group and they were called the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, son of Dodo, son of Ahoi. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. It's kind of an interesting detail, isn't it? (laughs) Fighting in a field of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines, but he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. I'm dropping down to verse 18 now. Now, Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of the 30. So we started off talking about these three. And how incredible they were. Now, there's another group that's called the 30. When you get to the end of the chapter, it says, well, there's actually 37 of them. But they were called the 30. So Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zariah, was chief of the 30. And he wielded his spear against 300 men and killed them and won a name beside the three. He was the most renowned of the 30 and and became their commander. But he did not attain to the three. And then we'll drop down to verse 24. It says, Ashel, the brother of Joab, was one of the thirty. Elhanan, the son of Dodo of Bethlehem, Shema of Harad, and Elika of Harad, Halez the Paltite, and I'll just stop there. It just goes on to continue listing all of the names of the thirty. Now, I've, I've always found this a, a very intriguing passage in the Bible. It's almost like, a, you know, Lord, why is this here? Depending how it's kind of laid out on your page and in your Bible and mine, it it almost takes up a whole page. And believe it or not, this entire thing is repeated again in First Chronicles chapter eleven. So now we're talking about two whole pages that that are given to what we just read. Now. It, you know, in my Bible, there's 1,600 pages. Yours probably give or take around that same thing, depending on how it's laid out there and how many maps you have. But uh, about 1,600 pages. Well, two pages isn't a lot of 1,600, is it? You know, actually, I would say it is. When you stop and consider that God limited himself to 1,600 pages. I, I think of the, the Apostle John, when he got to the end of the Gospel of John, he, he said... 
that, that he could not record all that Jesus said and did, for if he did, it would take up all the, all the books of the world. Well, there was a lot fewer books when John wrote that statement. But the point is, the Scripture's not giving us every single detail, every single story, every single teaching of Moses, of David, of Jesus, of Paul, of any of them. In other words, God's just simply pulling out select stories, select teachings that give us a picture of the whole that help us to know the Lord and how to, how to walk with the Lord. And so I, I would say God limit. He didn't include everything that he could have included. He limited himself to 1,600 pages. So God, why did you make this two of them? I mean, let, let's be honest here. No, no disrespect to, to the Lord, no disrespect to the soldier. But, I mean, think about why you come to church, why you get up and anticipate listening to a sermon. You want to hear something about, about God and about life, right? I, I, I need hope. I need encouragement. I, you know, give me some direction on how I handle this week's challenges. Give me some hope in this Lord that I, this worship, Lord that I worship and I know. And yet this passage, these two pages really don't do any of that. I, I mean, Lord, these names just don't, I can't even say half of these names. And you can say less than I can. So, so how is this going to help me know you and follow you? These names just don't mean anything to me. And, you know, it was actually saying that one day that it dawned on me that, that, that the Lord was saying, I didn't give you these names because of what they would mean to you. I gave you these names because of what they mean to me. And, folks, there's two things on planet Earth that are eternal, the human soul and the word of God. That page is eternal. That, that page will last forever. God took these names and wrote them out so he, you and I could see what he honors and what he respects. And again, why do we have a military? Why do we have soldiers on planet earth? Because we live in a fallen, broken world and we do harm to one another. And, and, after, again, working through all the rights and wrongs and just wars and what about, what about, what about, the bottom line is the soldier is often the one who has to play out and, and, and live out what, what a nation has decided. And, and God here eternalizes their names. He notices. I would say that to every soldier in here today. God notices you. God sees you. And, and God respects what you have done. You know, the, the American soldier... Uh, when they sign up, and they all serve different roles and, and will, will, will serve in different capacities, but when, when you volunteer, you are potentially putting your life in a place, on a path, where you're going to see and do things that the human soul was not designed to see and do. The soul wasn't designed to bear that. The soul was not designed to carry that. Do you realize that was just the story that Bill was telling you? My, my soul can't carry what I've been, what I've been a part of, what I've, what I've had to do. It just, it just wasn't designed for that. And they volunteer to be in that place, to, to take that on, we would say, to preserve and protect freedoms, to, to preserve and protect our, our nation and our democracy. Again, maybe it's good reasons, maybe it's not always good reasons, but you know what? They volunteered to do that so that you and I would not have to. My soul does not have to interact with what they interact with. My, my soul doesn't have to figure out how to bear that burden and carry that. I, I mean, folks, I think what I'm talking about is a lot of what PTSD comes out of. 
This is not how the body was designed. This is not how the psyche was, was designed. And yet they volunteer to potentially put themselves in that place. Less than 1%. You know, I think we forget how small a number it is because we live in a, in a military community. I, I mean, I, I don't know how it all adds up, but I would imagine between here and, and Virginia Beach, there's about as many military as there are in, in the United States. I've lived in places, I would imagine some of you have too, where there was not a post, there was not a, a fort. We, we didn't have a lot of military. When you had them stand up on that day, it really was 1% or less. See, we don't see that because we have so many that stand up and, and we know names of, with vet, of veterans. But, but you can actually forget what, what a small number it is that, that puts themselves in, and we say in the way of harm, but that name becomes almost meaningless to us because it's just, it's a cliche. They put themselves in the way of harm. The way I would say it is they put their soul in a place to have to carry something the soul's not designed to carry. And, and, and they do that for us. And what I see in this scripture is God saying, I see that. I, I see and acknowledge what you've done. I honor and I respect that. And you know what? I would say, folks, the Heights Baptist wants to be a church that honors and notices what God honors and notices. Amen? And, and so we do have a, a pretty significant uh, military presence right here in our culture, in our 804. I want to have Wes Rose come up here for a few moments. Wes is the mission pastor here at the Heights. And as, as I said, we've been talking about as a staff how we can do more, how we can do better, not, not just with a Veterans Day, but, but really with our, our military. Wes, share a little bit. I mean, it's not just you and I that have been discussing that, right. but share a little bit about that discussion. Yeah, we want to be have a direct and intentional focus in on on active duty personnel that are that are that are at Fort Lee or coming to Fort Lee, uh, really trying to seek them out, trying to seek them out and be able to minister to them. Uh, you may have had a ter- heard a, a term of uh, a church being military friendly, and really, unless you have you know planned goals and a team kind of backing that up, all it is is just kind of a cliche term over here. So we don't want to have that. We want to actually actually do some really, really You want to add some flesh, some, some meat flesh. To, yes. to that phrase, military friendly. Yep. Now, um, so, I mean, why would we do this? Well, we have a military right here. We have a big military presence. Right. I, I guess maybe in some churches and some cultures where there's so little of that, there maybe would not be as much of a drive for that. So right. what I'm getting ready to ask may sound obvious because we do have so much military in our area. But, but let me go ahead and ask that. Why do we want to be faithful with that? Yeah. Why, why do we want to do that? Well, uh, kind of like Bill and Iris, we've, I've been a member here for about 30 years, and I have seen a lot of folks coming into Fort Lee, and they've, they've joined, they've come in, being, they're part of our church, uh, they, they've come and go, but they've made a great impact on our church when they've come in. But also, the church has been the family that they've needed when they were away from their family. Mm-hmm. And so, that, I, I've seen that for probably 30 years coming and going. And um, I really think, I mean, I'm really proud of our church. We have a lot of things going that can really help and minister to families, whether it's singles, whether it's couples, whether it's family with children and youth over here. This is a place for them to call family. Uh, even if they're here for just for a few months or even three years, this is a great place for them to come in, be ministered to, uh, get involved with, have an impact, and uh, actually give to, to the body of Christ here. And then, of course, we're, we're right here. We're 15 minutes from Fort Lee. 
this is, this is a good time and this is the right time to really step it up on our part. Right. Now, you're our, our missions pastor. When we hear the right. word missions, we usually think of somewhere else, right? right. So, so why, why, why did you grab a hold of this? Why did you want to run with it? No, uh, you know, we, we do love 804. And, of course, we want to be the church that the 804 can't imagine being without. And when you look at the position of Fort Lee, it's, it's directly in the center of the 804. Uh, soldiers, active duty personnel that are there, they're going to be your neighbors. They're going to be the parents of kids on your, on your uh, sports teams. You're going to see them in restaurants and in stores. You're going to see them in uniform. So we're right here. Um, you're going to see a, a lot of them you know, right here in our area. And so for us to be able to do that and reach out to them, it's just it's incredible. Um, Incredible opportunity for us. And then, you know, with the, the, the captain school, there are people that come into Fort Lee, they hear, and then they leave. They go to another installation, another post, another base someplace. They may be going overseas or maybe being deployed and going into harm's way. And so while they're here, we want to be able to help and minister to their families. And then, really, if we do this right, we become the church not only that the 804 can't imagine being without, but the military because they go to different installations and, and they talk about where they've been. And just like part of Bill's, you know, part of their testimony is what the churches were in those areas, what they meant to them. And what we'd like to see is that when people, when they're around and they're someplace there in Fort Lewis, Fort Hood, someplace else, and somebody, they find out that they're coming back, some friends of theirs are coming back, uh, PCSing into Fort Lee, Permanent change of station. Yeah, um, don't use acronyms, yeah. man. We're not all. So anyway, if, not if, when they're coming back to Fort Lee, <laughs> we want them to be able to say, hey, listen, you need to go find the Heights Baptist Church over here. That is a place for you and your family to go in, to be a part of. They'll love on you. They'll take care of you over here. And uh, really, it becomes a reputation much outside of here, but are actually worldwide. Yeah. So th- this is not going from nothing to something. We've been doing things for, for years and years, but right. it has been a little bit of hit and miss here and there, what we're talking now is becoming more intentional, more purposeful, and right. kind of how we pull efforts and activities to, to, to be able to accomplish. Because we're not going to be that church for the 804 without having a, a heart and a mind for Fort Lee, which is such a big part of the 804, I, th- is, I think is, is what you just said. Yeah, it, it, it is such a big part of it. And, you know, we're, we're on, the, on the front end of this. We have, have done a lot of research. We've talked to a couple of churches First Baptist Norfolk is a, is a huge one that is, uh, and they have an area called um, a Ministry Military Missions Network. We're a part of, we're going to be working with them as well. But basically, I, we're on the front end of this. I've got a group of uh, 10 or 11 people right now that we're going to be meeting with on the first week of December. Uh, some of these are retired and some of these are active duty. And we're getting a lot of good information and we're basically going to come up with a plan of what we think will be the first few steps of getting in, getting in this right here really taken off within our church. And so as we meet over here, you're going to be seeing some things coming in the bulletin, some things online, is really identifying those in, our, in the church over here that are active duty, um, even those who retired or even veterans who want to get involved. Mm-hmm. And so what we'll do, we'll spend a couple months just trying to you know, get a list of folks that, that we can minister to, and then we'll have a reception after, after church after the first of the year, We'll come up and we'll tell you and we'll talk about this is how, this is what the ministry looks like. This is how you can get involved. And uh, now, any, anybody can get, you don't have to be military to get involved in this, correct? Correct, right. Okay, and there are people involved in military mission 
network that are non-military. There, there's a, there's so a if this is just a heartbeat, an interest of yours, or maybe you have family members, that you can still do this yourself. There is, and we, and we want you, as, as even the folks that are non-military, you have someone on your street. If you look, over, if you look at their license plate, you see them in uniform, you, we want you to have the tools to be able to say, you know what, hey, listen, our, come to our church over here. We have a, we have a place right. for you. Where we have a, really a, a ministry for, directly for you. Now, I, I would add that while all can do it, I do want to challenge our veterans to, to think about what role you might play in making a ministry like this happen. And I, and I think of Second Corinthians 1 that says we, we comfort others with the comfort that we've been given. Some of the most purposeful work you'll ever do is when you're serving somebody who's been where you are, somebody that's going through what you're going through. And I might even say some of the best therapy that we get in life is when we help others, when we know and understand where they are and and what they've been through. So great opportunity here. We're going to see this ministry, I think, have a a real opportunity to get to to grow and reach a lot of lives and and reach a lot of Bill Deadweilers out there in the world. Help them end a war. Amen. 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 Thank you. Y'all thank Wes today. Great opportunity there. I I hope, does this excite y'all? Does this want to be what you want to be a part of? And I I hope what you want to see your church faithful to being and and, and faithful to doing. Hope you'll get involved in that. Want to close in prayer and I'm going to pray about this, but also just so you, if you're listening to my prayer, and I know sometimes we're getting ready to go to the car and not listening to the pastor pray, but if you're listening to my prayer, you might wonder where I'm going. I do want to pause in our prayer time and lift up the shoeboxes out there. You've been you've brought back all these shoe boxes. They're gonna go to a thousand, eleven hundred, twelve hundred, however many we got back, children out there in the world. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we're a part of a ministry called Samaritan's Purse and you fill this with Christmas gifts and uh, we put our thousand plus boxes with others and they go uh, all throughout the world. Last year over ten million uh, shoe boxes were sent throughout the world, and those shoe boxes arrive in places uh, where there are missionaries, where there are churches, and boy, that really helps open the door and uh, reach out and and be a, a, an act of kindness for people, and, and that gives room for the gospel. So we we want to take a moment and pray for that also. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. Thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house, to gather with your people, as Bob prayed a moment ago, to be able to do all that without fear. And uh, God, we thank you for the opportunity to know you and, and to worship you. And uh, Lord, our church, we want to be faithful with, with who you are. We want to be faithful to what you're doing, to what you've called us to be and do. And uh, Lord, we, we feel a growing burden to be more faithful, to be better uh, with all of the soldiers that you have brought right here within the shadow Uh, of the Heights Baptist Church. We pray your blessing, your guidance, your favor, Lord. We pray that you'll go before us and you'll open doors and make the way so that we can see uh, soldiers brought to Christ. We can see soldiers and their families encouraged, aided, helped uh, in their journey. Uh, And and Lord, we just, we want to do all that you've called us to do. So we ask that you'll guide and, and bless all of this work. Lord, move in the hearts of those in this room right here and right now. That, that need to be a part of this and uh, place that on their heart even now as we begin preparing for this. Lord, we love you. We pray that our gathering has brought a smile to your face. We pray that our gathering has warmed your heart. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.